This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, August 7th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Monday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Artificial intelligence certainly proving to be beneficial in the medical field. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, though, the week ahead includes the latest reading on inflation from the Fed and an updated look at consumer sentiment. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. Diane, all eyes uh, certainly on inflation this week. Let's let's specifically talk about the Consumer Price Index uh, July data and what that might mean for the Fed moving forward. Well, we're going to see another number that is actually a little more elevated than what we saw in June. Remember, June of 2022 was a high watermark on that blistering 9.1% CPI read. So year on year, that we call it a base effect, helped to suppress overall gains and got us down to 3%. We'll have a little tick up in that number with an 0.2% month-on-month increase in the CPI. But we all know what's been happening at the gas pump, and that's one of the biggest factors that really affects consumers after gas prices have come off their highs very dramatically. We've actually seen some days that have had very major increases in one day, let alone one week. Since then, the last six weeks have seen gas prices creep back up again, and that will show up as a little more inflation, 3.2% on a year-over-year basis in the month of July from a year ago. And I think it will seep into the consumer sentiment numbers a bit as well, because even though the labor market remains incredibly strong, which is great, absorbing losses and layoffs in some sectors, sort of seeing a relay race develop in this marathon the Fed has taken on to combat inflation. It's important to understand that consumers really do care about inflation very much. And if they feel like they're losing ground to higher prices, most notably at the gas pump, which is the single largest contributor to people's expectations, even though the Federal Reserve doesn't have much say on what oil production is globally or much influence on that, that is one of the biggest factors that affect consumers. And that's why you keep getting these you know, fears of recession out there, because in fact, the only time we had wages outpace inflation in the overall economy since the onset of the pandemic was the second quarter of 2023. Consumers felt like they were losing ground to inflation, even as they were gaining jobs and wages were picking up. And I think that's very important to remember, and it's why the Fed is so committed to not just getting inflation down, but derailing the inflation we have so it no longer distorts people's behaviors and the decisions and trade-offs they have to make when they go to the grocery store. Now, the Fed did take a pause in raising rates. So the question is, moving forward, can we anticipate a soft landing? Or is this really, are those are those anxieties of a recession going to come to fruition here for consumers? 
Well, I have to admit I'm more optimistic, although the Chairman Powell would not use the word optimistic himself, but did say there's the path to a soft landing is widening. A soft or softish landing is more appropriate. That doesn't mean the economy doesn't weaken, but a full-blown recession due to the fact that we have more of a relay race now where weak sectors are handing off the baton to stronger sectors to keep overall employment from spiking, unemployment from spiking in particular, that is what would be the definition of a soft landing. It doesn't mean no increase in unemployment, and the Fed kind of uses the word pain as a euphemism for higher unemployment, but it means much smaller of an increase and not the traditional two quarters of negative growth and a spike in unemployment, which typically define a recession. So I am optimistic that we could potentially get that soft landing, and that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not without what we call sort of these rolling recessions that we're seeing going on in the U.S. economy. And it's not without consumers having to maybe get another job after they get laid off from a job. And I think that's important to remember as well. Thanks so much. Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. Coming up, we'll take a look at the growing role of artificial intelligence in diagnosing diseases. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Hospitals, doctors increasingly using artificial intelligence to help with diagnosing, surgery, and just the general burden of paperwork. So let's discuss the latest developments with Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, this is just another field that is adapting and implementing and finding new use for artificial intelligence. Uh, Let's talk about some of the applications here within a hospital setting. Uh, It's not replacing doctors, but it is sort of uh, alleviating a very heavy workload. Well, it's doing, first of all, yes, it is absolutely doing that, but it's doing more than just alleviating a heavy workload. That is, by the way, a huge concern at hospitals where, you know, roughly 20, 25% of a doctor or, or a caregiver's day is taken up by admin. In other words, filling out forms, mm-hmm. which obviously is not what they train to do. But what's really interesting, and, and by the way, that's a huge, that's a huge on savings. It's huge for the health, financial health of hospital chains, you name it. Um, but what, here's what really is happening. If AI takes up the mantle of, you know, those admin tasks. On the one hand, doctors and nurses can spend a lot more time just paying attention to patients, and that's what's happening. Another thing that's happening with AI, and this is really interesting, especially in radiology, it's actually improving outcomes, meaning that physicians, especially radiologists, who are looking carefully at at images that are generated, whether it's by X-ray or MRI or other, an AI system behind that analysis is actually doing a better job of diagnosing disease faster, meaning the doctor is handed results that are, in fact, more accurate by, than just by glancing with their well-trained eye at, a, at an image. So outcomes are being improved because those, that AI is generating these possibilities, and, uh, and, admin is, and admin costs are going down. So it's good on both ends. Well, let's talk about some of the technology that then goes into that, because obviously you know that radiologists are, are very well-trained in looking at these images, but the advantage of something like artificial intelligence is not only being able to look at that specific image, but but sort of just pulling from the vast information that all internet has to offer and and maybe find results faster? That's exactly right. The best analogy I can make is anybody who's obviously lots of listeners to this program uh, know what a Monte Carlo investment calculator is. And basically what that does is run millions of possibilities. In other words, it looks out into the future and decides based on the past and performance in the past, it projects, you know, with lots of different options, millions of different options in seconds, it, it tells you what the likelihood of an outcome is. 
Similarly, with AI, the generative AI is basically looking at all kinds of past analyses of images that doctors have made, and it adds up and aggregates all those analyses so the doctors handed likelihoods, and in fact, those likelihoods, that list of likelihoods, is much more accurate than it has been in the past when a doctor just glances with his or her trained eye. So that's the big benefit. Now, I will say you're, what we're talking about still, there's there's still such a human element to what we're describing, right? You're talking about AI, yes, the system itself, but it's looking at past decisions and information that has been input by humans and ultimately then is still getting disseminated to humans. So I, I just I think that there, it's worth mentioning that that there still needs to be just a little bit of oversight here. And, and a likelihood is great, but that isn't definitive. No, I completely agree with you. And by the way, that's one of the advantages of the system. In the end, human beings still are, you know, and by the way, it may be another 20 minutes. I can't say that it's going to be true beyond that, but human <laughs> beings are still su- superior to these systems, right? So it, meaning that the human being does a great job of, aggreg- of analyzing a lot of data that's been aggregated before them and making good decisions. So in the end, well-trained doctors, well-trained nurses, well-trained caregivers who are handed summaries that are done, analyses that would have taken literally years mm. to do. Um, now handed to them, you are absolutely right. A human being actually in this driver's seat uh, is, is, is better probably. And I mean, look, I'll leave you with this analogy. Anybody who's ever flown in an airplane, a commercial aircraft, um, has been flown by, AI, roughly speaking, by automated systems, mm-hmm. not AI. Um, but in other words, the automated systems are, could take the plane off, could fly the plane and land the plane. Um, but human beings are in that cockpit for a reason, uh, because in the end, human beings are still better at analyzing all that data that's presented to them than the machine itself still. But you're, you're, I think those days may be numbered. In the end, it's better care, less time for the caregiver, and better outcomes for the patient. Thanks so much, Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media. Up next, we'll have a need-to-know guide for those first-time home buyers. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Buying that first home can be a daunting challenge, but there are some basic things you can do to make the process a little more understandable and less stressful. Let's get some insight from Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of CJ Patrick Company based in Orange County, California. Rick, I was this person not that long ago, just a few years ago. I snuck in right before the pandemic hit buying my first home, and daunting is absolutely the word I would use to describe it. Thankfully, I did have some uh, advisors in my corner, much like yourself, to help me navigate this process. What advice do you have for those that are looking to enter the housing market for the very first time? Uh, take a deep breath uh, and, and, and approach with, with extreme caution. But, but uh, once, you, once you've figured out what your budget will allow, once you've figured out that you're ready for the financial commitment of home ownership, uh, don't hesitate to move into the market. Because for most families, uh, for most uh, households over time, uh, home ownership is a better financial uh, decision than than continuing to rent indefinitely. Uh, but there's a lot of things you have to do up front. You need to do your homework. Uh, you need to figure out uh, what you can really afford. You need to take a look at all your financing options. Uh, and there's, as as you know, having just gone through this, there's a lot of work involved in doing this intelligently. Well, and the other thing that that I think many first-time home buyers aren't aware of is just the, the the sheer number of incentives that there are for you to own a home for the first time. Yeah, if you're looking, at, and this is particularly true. That's a great point, Rachel. Particularly true if you're looking at new construction. If if you're dealing with uh, somebody who's a builder, a builder who has three, four, five properties at the end of a development that are sitting there vacant, uh, they're motivated to move those properties because they're costing the money every month. So they're they're likely to make concessions. Uh, they may contribute cash at closing 
uh, to, to buy points and get your mortgage rates down a little bit. Um, uh, they might just reduce the price. Uh, new home prices are down about 15% from the peak of the market a year ago. So particularly if you're dealing with, with a, a new home, a new construction home, lots of incentives. But, but there are things you can do on your own, even if you're looking for an existing home. Uh, and, and among those is a lot of first-time homeowner, home buyers don't look at down payment assistance funds. Uh, you can find those on the, the HUD website. Um, but every state has has funding that's available uh, to, to help that first-time buyer make the down payment they need to make uh, in order to be able to afford a house. And that, for many first-time home buyers, is the biggest obstacle, is getting that large chunk of money together to make a down payment. It is, uh, and, and you can tap into your, your friends and family network. Uh, most Most loans uh, will be available to you no matter where the down payment funds come from. Uh, it, it's important to save money for the down payment. It's important to clear up as much of your debt, your credit card debt, as you possibly can so that your, your credit score is as high as possible and you'll qualify for the highest rate or the, the, the best rate, the lowest rate on your mortgage. Uh, uh, it's important to shop around for a mortgage. Make sure you talk to at least two or three different mortgage companies uh, and shop around for the best rates. Um, and, and get pre-approved before you get ready to, to make an offer on a house, uh, because in today's market, properties are flying off the off the market almost as quickly as they're listed. So you need to be ready to move uh, almost instantly. One last point: uh, there are very low down payment rate programs available, either through FHA, where you can have as little as a three and a half percent down payment, or loans that are backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, where you could have a 3% down payment. So there are low down payment loans available for first-time buyers. Thanks so much, Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of C.J. Patrick Company. Still ahead, a couple of investment suggestions for our Stock Picker Monday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Mike Krauser. A child suffers serious burns when a boat catches on fire on the Chain of Lakes. A former Minneapolis police officer sentenced for his role in the killing of George Floyd. The percentage of family income going to child care is sharply rising, and it's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of ideas from a portfolio pro. WBBM Business Stock. Stocks are trading higher. The Dow up 371 points. NASDAQ up 29. The S&P 500 also up 29 points. AccuWeather says partly sunny skies with a high near 80 degrees today. Those temperatures will fall to the mid-60s tonight. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as a child is now being treated for serious injuries after a boat caught fire on the Chain of Lakes yesterday. WBBM's Mike Krauser reports. It happened on Pistake Lake at about 3 p.m. The Fox Lake Fire Protection District reported there were two adults and two children on the boat when the fire broke out near a dock. They jumped into the water, but one of the children, reported to be younger than 10, was seriously burned and was taken to a hospital. The others had minor burns. The boat was drifting toward others in a marina. The fire department put out the flames. The boat at least partially sank. It was towed back in. The cause is under investigation. 
Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM. Former Minneapolis police officer Tu Tao has been sentenced to 57 months in state prison for his role in the killing of George Floyd. WCCO reporter Reg Chapman has more on the decision by Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill. In a nearly 180-page verdict, Judge Cahill said Tao displayed no compassion and that he disregarded his training by watching Floyd's life slip away. Cahill said the former officer actively participated in Floyd's death by encouraging his three colleagues, that includes Derek Chauvin, who knelt on Floyd's neck. Cahill explained how Tal consciously held back a crowd of concerned bystanders and even prevented an off-duty Minneapolis firefighter from getting Floyd medical help. Tal will serve some of his time concurrently with his three-and-a-half-year sentence for a federal civil rights conviction. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Well, the markets are higher. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC, based in New York. Uh, Jim, let's talk about what you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on inflation later this week. Yeah, well, what the markets are responding to is earnings season is effectively over. Uh, and it was a very good season. You had 80% of uh, companies beat earnings estimates at a time when uh, the economy actually seems to be reaccelerating. Uh, we grew 2% in the first quarter, 25 in the second, and the Atlanta Fed has us growing at over 3% uh, uh, in the quarter that we're in. So you could have a situation here where the economy is reaccelerating, profits start to grow again, and the Fed is almost done with its rate increases, and that's a good combination for stocks. Now, the risk to that is that the inflation numbers uh, are, are worse than we expect and that the Fed is not done, uh, in which case we'll have to reexamine that, uh, that scenario. Well, that was sort of my, my follow-up is, does this momentum carry into the second half of this year? And I guess it, it really truly does depend on where the latest inflation data sits. Yes, you get CPI and PPI this week. Then you get another employment report uh, on, I believe it's August 23rd. And then you've got the, um, uh, the Fed meeting out west at the, uh, at the end of August. So a lot can change between now and, and the next two Fed meetings. Uh, but it's, you're going to be very light on data after this week's CPI and PPI. So I think what, what you, you could very much uh, uh, stay in a trading range with an upward bias only because the news on the economy and profits uh, at this point are good. Is inflation the biggest threat to this rally we've been seeing on Wall Street, or are there other factors at play? No, it's inflation, inflation and interest rates. Uh, there's always a chance of a geopolitical event, et cetera, but you can't invest based on black swans. So you, you have to say uh, it's the soft landing, and the soft landing is contingent upon the Fed successfully conquering inflation, and that, that will become apparent uh, over the next few months with the inflation reports and the Fed's reaction to it. Well, and how do you define a successful soft landing? Because there could, there could be a little bit of collateral damage along the way. Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts there. Of, of I've heard soft landing. I've heard soft-ish. I've heard uh, don't yeah. expect too much here. Yeah, let me be, be specific. Both uh, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America have, have withdrawn their, their calls for a recession this year. And a soft landing is one where you could get 
you, you could sink back to sort of zero to one percent kind of growth with a moderately rising uh, uh, unemployment and gradually uh, uh, lowering of inflation. That would fit the parameters of a soft landing. And, you know, right now you have to say the odds are pretty good. In fact, if anything, growth is going to be higher than we expect. So the question is, can that higher growth be accompanied by uh, con- continued progress towards the Fed's inflation goal? And that would be a 3% kind of number for this year and getting back down to two next year. We've seen some strong earnings. Are there areas of, of the market that you find cheap or undervalued right now? Well, you know, long term, you have to say that technology remains the driver of the economy. Uh, but so far this year, the, the unweighted, if you get away from the seven or eight biggest stocks, uh, the unweighted, the whole rest of the market, aside from Apple and Microsoft and NVIDIA, et cetera, the rest of the market is cheaper than the, than the seven or eight technology stocks that have led the market. So I would say you, if you buy the unweighted S&P, which would take you towards smaller and mid-cap stocks, in the short term, are more attractive. Although long term, these technology winners are going to remain winners. Thanks so much, Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC. Up next, we'll discuss the necessity of planning for the major expense of childcare. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The percentage of family income that goes to child care is up sharply, even compared to just a year ago. So let's talk about ways that that expense can be dealt with with Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions based in Forest Park. Uh, Chris, this is something near and dear to my heart. I'm just a few weeks away from welcoming my first child here. And my husband and I did our research looking into child care. And it was shocking. Just the price alone. Well, Rachel, first of all, congratulations. It's very exciting news. But, you know, I'm not shocked anymore at how expensive child care has become. I mean, imagine paying six, seven hundred bucks a week. I have a client that also has to pay the FICA on that because mm-hmm. they have a full-time employee. That's over 3100 bucks a month. And au pair is a, an idea because for that family would only cost them just over 1700 a month or so. And that's a huge swing, Rachel. So, you know, it's not for everybody. You have to have this space. If you're going to hire an au pair, at least they come vetted. I like to send people to au pair in America.com. Some people need full-time care. For a family that only needs like before or after care, it's certainly a lot less. Mm -hmm. So it's something to consider. Actually, our neighbors hired an au pair for all three of their children, and they loved it. Of course, they had a favorite au pair that came back as often as possible, since when you hire an au pair, they can only stay for a max of two years. So there were a couple of replacements along the way. But their favorite actually became part of their family. So that's something to consider if you have the space and the desire to look at something like that. Besides, Well, I was going to say, what do you tell your clients when they're trying to, I think this is one of the biggest hurdles for for at least new parents, is is deciding uh, at what point does the expense of childcare make one parent not working an option? At some point, it gets very close, depending on the level of childcare you need, depending on your job, where uh, you're making all all your paycheck is just going right into childcare. That's right. And not only that, hey, Rach, think about the emotional impact mm-hmm. of all of that. It's mm-hmm. more than just the money. 
So besides a possible way to lower your child care costs by maybe an au pair if you can't have family helping, you know, it makes sense to really hire a financial planner to help you prepare for that expense. You know, there are some of my clients who, after looking at all of this, decided to stay home. Some of them even added on top of that homeschooling their children. Now, that's not for everyone, Mm -hmm. but it's an option. But like any other expense, Rachel, it's always best to plan and prepare. And to prepare long term. We're not just talking about the first year or two. We're talking, I mean, most kids aren't what five or six until they're in school full time or, as you mentioned, being homeschooled. This isn't just uh, let me plan for the next 12 months. This is really let me look at my financial situation and what it's going to look like three, four, five years down the road. Girl, you got it. And even longer, because what about college? So, yeah, this is an expensive project. It's not like the good old days when maybe mom and dad lived close by and they could come over and help. Not to say that that doesn't still happen, right? It's true. It's true. And thankfully, I do have uh, mom and dad in my back pocket. So I appreciate the uh, I appreciate. Yes, I know. We appreciate all the advice. Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner. She's also president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park. A reminder that you can join us at this time tomorrow. Uh, And still to come, we have our stock picker Monday. We've got travel Tuesday this time tomorrow. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It is Stock Picker Monday. Lending us his expertise this afternoon is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of UpsideStocks.com based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, glad to have you with us. What's your first pick? Well, both picks are kind of high per share price stocks, so I don't want people to get scared off by their price tag. Uh, I know a lot of folks out there still like to buy individual you know, a number of shares, a hundred shares, and you can't do that with maybe perhaps an 800 or 2000 or $3,000 per share stock. But there are a lot of brokers out there now. You can actually buy fractional shares. And again, it's the dollars that matter, not stock. So with that, uh, my first pick is Broadcom. The symbol is A-V-G-O. The stock trades for $890 per share. Broadcom is a, a, a semiconductor company. They also have a substantial software business. Uh, they're a nice play on generative AI, and it's a company where you can still buy the stock at a reasonable valuation. It trades at about 21 times its 2023 earnings estimate and 20 times 2024. You also get a nice little dividend yield of 2.1%. So it's a nice package of return and a technology stock that I still think is pretty good value. That's Broadcom AVGO. Trades for about $890 a share. And we understand your disclaimer at the start of the segment. So let's, with that in mind, let's move on to your second pick. Yeah, and the second pick, the per per share price is going to seem like way out there. It's booking holdings. Uh, The symbol is BKNG, and the stock trades for a little over $3,200 per share. Yeah, that's it. But don't get scared. You know, the per share price. It doesn't reflect anything other than how much it costs to buy a share of stock. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily reflective of the valuation. Here, I think Booking is a, a decently valued company. Uh, it trades at about 23 times its 2023 earnings estimate and 20 times its 2024. Booking is kind of the monster in the online travel business. They have such brands as Booking.com, Priceline, Kayak, Open Table. The company just came through with a very strong uh, quarter here. Stock has some real nice momentum, and I think that momentum is going to carry through the remainder of the year. So that's Booking Holdings, uh, BKNG, 
trades for a little over $3,200 a share. And as a disclaimer, our disclosure, our, both uh, our company and our clients own both of these stocks. Thanks so much, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services based in Hammond, Indiana. If you missed any part of today's show, a reminder that you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's also a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app.